The following program is a presentation of Jazz Sports. Hello again everyone and welcome to the main roster. We're back for week two for episode two uh, after a successful first week. Thanks to everybody that tuned in. There are a lot of things to discuss this week as we look back at the week's happenings in WWE on SmackDown and Raw. But before we get into a review of SmackDown, let's take a few minutes to talk about something that's really got on my nerves. And that is Seth Rollins. Let me start out by saying that I like Seth Rollins. I'm actually a Seth Rollins fan. His in-ring work is fantastic. I like him on the microphone. I like his look. I like his music. I even like the burn it down thing in his music that has really taken off. I'm a big fan of Seth Rollins. What I don't like, um, the reason for what is probably going to become a huge rant, is Seth Rollins playing the victim and manufacturing his own heat. Now let me explain. It all started a few weeks ago on one of the early episodes of Corey Graves' podcast. He had a complaint on there that he was being booed and that his career path was going down the line of Roman Reigns where no matter what he did, he was going to be booed and it was just because he was successful and people were trying to um, put him back in his place all these kinds of usual nonsense things that come out of top guys who are unhappy with the fan reaction that they're getting. But let me just say, and I'll get to this in a bit more detail soon, nobody is really booing Seth Rollins. When you watch Raw every week, he gets a pretty good reaction. Okay, so let's look at what the basis is for his complaint. He said that it started during his Hell in a Cell match with The Fiend. First of all, nobody was booing you. They were cheering The Fiend. They wanted him to leave the pay-per-view with the belt. The boos that came, and they were very loud boos, they were some of the loudest boos that have been in WWE for a long time, were for the bullshit end to that match. They were booing a DQ ending to a no-DQ match format. They were booing a cop-out ending designed to screw the fans out of what they were clamouring for. They were booing the fact that the match wasn't restarted when The Fiend popped back up fit as a fiddle. Seth, are you so insecure that you can't hear boos without thinking they're for you? And this comparison with Roman Reigns, please. In some cities, Roman was booed so loud that you couldn't even hear his music. The pop that you get, as I mentioned when your music hits and people scream, burn it down with you, it's massive. You are WWE's top guy, especially on Raw. Stop trying so hard to bury yourself with this woe-is-me nonsense. Sure, people give you a hard time on Twitter. Everybody in WWE gets a hard time on Twitter. Hell, everybody in the world gets a hard time on Twitter. That's kind of how Twitter is, unfortunately. If you can't handle that, get off Twitter close out the noise and get back to doing what you do best. And that's just going out every Monday night, 
through all the house shows, live events, etc. And just putting on the best matches and the best entertainment possible. Enough of the melodrama. Now then, with that out of the way, perhaps we can get into the real business of what we do on this podcast, and that's taking a look at the television shows. Let's start with last week's Friday Night Smackdown on Fox. Now, I don't want to complain about everything WWE do, but sometimes they make it very difficult. And starting the show with Baron Corbin two weeks in a row is uninspired. I covered most of it last week, but bringing out a guy in a dog suit, really? If I was a casual fan, this is why I would turn turn the program off. I would change the channel immediately. Now, Rude and Ziggler came and joined Baron Corbin this week, and they claim that they're there to do what they do best. Now, unfortunately, that seems to be jobbing to the flavour of the month. Their involvement wasn't really necessary. They're just trying to put a bit more shine on their young guys, Ali and Shorty G, because they're not really convinced about what they're doing with them and they're insecure that people are going to turn off them. And they probably will, because WWE are not giving us any real good reasons to get behind Shorty G and Ali. Sorry, but they're just not. A big talking point that came out of this week's SmackDown was the new colour of the Universal Championship. They have made it more in line with SmackDown by changing the strap from red to blue. Now, people complain about the belts all the time, but I actually like all of the World Championship belts being the same, but very subtly different. The only thing that needs to happen now is that the WWE Championship strap needs to turn red to be in line with the others. When you look at the Women's World Championships, the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships... They are the same in all but the plate colour behind the WWE logo. The Raw Women's Championship has a red backdrop and the SmackDown Women's Championship has a blue backdrop. The idea behind this is that the championships are on par. The Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships are the same in terms of prestige and quality. It doesn't matter that one has marginally been around longer. They are worth the same. Becky Lynch and Bailey have the same calibre of championship. This is true also, as much as people really like to talk down the Universal Championship, and I'm one of those people, the WWE Championship and the Universal Championship are equal titles. They are both major world championships in WWE. It's just that one is for their Monday Night brand and one is for their Friday night brand. The fact that they've interchanged these so easily and swapped them from Raw to SmackDown kind of proves my point here. So if the belts are worth the same, in my opinion, they should look the same. That's just my two cents. Can we get a decent feud for Drew Gulak? Of course this guy isn't going to stand a chance against Braun Strowman, but the guy's one of the best on the microphone in all of WWE, and he's an incredible ring tactician. He deserves way more than this, or he should have just been left on NXT slash 205 Live. Following on from what I said last week, I went into the New Day Revival rematch, wondering if they were actually going to reverse the decision they made, Uh, but they didn't. The New Day are still the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, and it was just used as a vehicle to promote Survivor Series. 
I still dream, though, that they can use this DQ ending to imply that the Undisputed Era didn't want to face the Revival. They didn't want the Revival in that match. I desperately, desperately want the Revival back in that triple threat match, but I think I'm going to be disappointed. I'm a big fan of NXT's addition to Survivor Series, but still having War Games the previous night really cheapens all of the rivalries that NXT have building into their event. Why is Rhea Ripley's War Games team coming to the aid of Shayna Baszler? There is supposed to be hatred between these two people. Rhea Ripley should not be rescuing Shayna Baszler, regardless of what brand they are on. This is bad timing. Hell, it's flat-out bad storytelling. Also, I don't like Mia Yim being back in the ring after Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray nearly killed her on NXT two days prior. Even if she is fine, from a kayfabe point of view, she shouldn't be fine. If you didn't see Mia Yim get her face broken and then break a ladder with her spine, go back and watch last week's NXT. We closed out SmackDown with Miz TV featuring Daniel Bryan. The Miz and Daniel Bryan are so good together. Even with both guys as babyfaces, the old bad blood came to the surface immediately. The Miz makes Debry better and vice versa. Who better to rile up Daniel Bryan and talk about passion and instability than the man who brought that out of him all those years ago in NXT? Perfect setup. Speaking of perfect, the interaction between Bray and Bryan and the puppets was just that. This match should be won for the ages. I wonder how WWE are going to ruin it. Moving on to Monday Night Raw then, a Raw full of New England Patriots references that I did not care for. My first question about this show is where is Dio Madden? I mean, I know where he is from a kayfabe point of view, but what's the real reason that he is off television? As much as Samoa Joe is fantastic in the booth, and reminiscent of the few weeks that CM Punk spent on commentary a few years ago, he's not a long-term answer. Dio Madden had an excellent first few weeks on commentary. He was connecting with the oft-overlooked, younger, nerdier portion of the audience. He bounced off Vic Joseph and the King really well. I, for one, hope that we get him back on TV sooner rather than later. I don't know about you, but I would really love a few-month stretch where Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair don't interact at all. The last time that they were good together is when Flair had to replace Lynch in last year's Survivor Series. Let them exist in spite of each other, but aside from each other, or people will be fed up of the sight of them long before they ever take the ring together again. That is, take the ring against each other again. The Authors of Pain finally returned to TV with a weird chest butt to Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. After all the promos, that return was a bit of a wet fart. Nice little match between Carl Anderson and Hector Garza's cousin. Too many people easily forget that Carl Anderson is a top draw competitor in his own right. Maybe now that the OC have established themselves as the best tag team in the world, we can see some more singles action from Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, for that matter. No way, Jose, I'm so sorry. Not only because you had to be involved in that BR Ootle promo from Lana. 
but for his entire main roster experience. What a waste of talent. If you don't believe, go back and watch No Way Jose in NXT. It's wonderful to see Akira Tozawa on TV again. But if the Cruiserweights are just going to face each other, why are they not on 205 Live? Why wasn't 205 Live used as a cross-brand celebration of Cruiserweight wrestling? Open to everyone, sub £205. Just turn up and fight. Would have been fantastic television and a fantastic draw for more WWE Network subscribers. 205 Live might be the worst potential vacuum in WWE history. In what was probably the highlight of Monday Night Raw, Kevin Owens and Drew McIntyre put on a show that was probably an audition for top spots on the roster. These guys should be fighting on pay-per-view for the WWE Championship, but WWE insist on putting the belt on someone that really doesn't need it. Brock Lesnar will face Rey Mysterio this Sunday at Survivor Series, but let's be honest, Mysterio is not beating Lesnar. So matches like this are probably the best we can expect for guys like Owens and Drew McIntyre right now. The rest of Raw was made up of invasion-style moments. NXT stood tall at the end of Raw. I think that you can expect SmackDown to be standing tall at the end of NXT and for Raw to be standing tall as SmackDown concludes. Having the Fox logo on the back of the SmackDown t-shirts was a really nice touch. I'd like Raw to have USA logo shirts for the week coming when they inevitably turn up Wednesday night on NXT and Friday night on SmackDown for the last show before the pay-per-view. So before we go, let's talk Survivor Series and throw out some predictions for this Sunday's event. Something that wasn't mentioned on television or if it was, I missed it. At Survivor Series this Sunday, we are going to get an NXT Championship matchup, with Adam Cole facing the winner of the triple threat match between Killian Dane, Damian Priest, and Pete Dunne that will take place the night before at War Games. Each of these three are very capable of putting on a fantastic match with Adam Cole, I have no doubt of that. But I'm personally hoping for Britain's own Pete Dunne to come out on top of the triple threat and go forward to face Adam Cole at Survivor Series. Pete Dunne regularly puts out match of the year caliber matches and I think that Adam Cole against Pete Dunne will be a fantastic advert for people who watch Raw and Smackdown but aren't necessarily tuning in to watch NXT on Wednesday nights. After watching a match between these two, I think it will be very hard for people to refuse NXT any further. Regardless of who does enter that match against Adam Cole, though, I fully expect Adam Cole to walk out of Survivor Series, still the NXT champion. We've got two traditional, not-so-traditional Survivor Series elimination matches. I say not-so-traditional because this time they are triple-threat Survivor Series elimination matches with the addition of teams from NXT. These matches are already a bit of a cluster, so I'm wondering what the addition of a third team will do to them. I'm not going to lay out any predictions for these because, quite frankly, that's too difficult at this stage without knowing who the teams are for NXT. They haven't really been fully announced 
But these matches are going to be a spectacle, and I wouldn't take your eyes off them for a second. The triple threat format will carry throughout the entire pay-per-view, and the next match to discuss is the match between the men's tag team champions. We have the Viking Raiders against the New Day against the Undisputed Era. This match isn't going to be as good as it would be if the Revival were still in it, but I still expect the Viking Raiders to show off the athleticism that they possess. Any team that goes into a match against Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly is instantly elevated by the extreme talent that these two men have. So it's still going to be a fantastic match. I expect WWE Golden Boys The New Day will come out on top in this match. Without the revival involved, the opportunity for match of the night turns to the triple threat between the quote-unquote mid-card champions. AJ Styles, the United States champion, against Shinsuke Nakamura, the Intercontinental champion, against Roderick Strong, the NXT North American champion. These three guys are the best of the best. This is the match that I am most looking forward to at Survivor Series. These guys are going to put on a wrestling clinic. Expect to see early eliminations for some of these guys, i.e. they'll be knocked out of the ring and that's where they will lay for a while to have several one-on-one opportunities between guys. This isn't an actual elimination match. Nobody will be removed completely. But I think these wrestlers will give themselves opportunity to show off what they can do one-on-one and just swap out the players wherever applicable. Quite frankly, I don't care who wins this match. We'll win this match just for being able to witness it. But if I had to put money on it, my money is on AJ Styles coming out on top. No, I said that was going to be the match of the night, didn't I? Now I look at the next match on the card and it's another triple threat match between the Women's Championship holders, Becky Lynch, the Raw Women's Champion, Bayley, the SmackDown Women's Champion, and Shayna Baszler, the NXT Women's Champion. All three of these ladies have a ruthless streak and expect that to come to the fore in this match. It's going to be a contest of who can out-heal the other. While Becky Lynch goes into this match as a babyface, her persona has several heel traits, so some underhanded tactics to help get the upper hand shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Baszler will be one night removed from what I expect to be a brutal first ever women's war games match, so I don't expect her to come out with the victory here, as amazing as that would be. It's a tough, tough call between Becky Lynch and Bailey, who is going to win the match, but... I have to give the edge to Bailey because I expect Sasha Banks to be involved in some way. And finally, putting the Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT rivalry aside, we've got two more World Championship matches. The first of which is the WWE Championship match between Brock Lesnar and Rey Mysterio. I discussed this earlier and I think that there is no real opportunity for Rey Mysterio to win this match. Brock Lesnar will continue his dominant reign as champion and then disappear for another couple of months before he has to defend his belt at the Royal Rumble. 
Matches between these two have a history of having some crazy nonsense in them. So expect Rey Mysterio to take some kind of brutal bump in this match. Brock Lesnar does Brock Lesnar best when he has a smaller opponent to ragdoll around the ring. Rey Mysterio is very good at being that ragdoll before building to a big babyface comeback that ultimately will fail, in my opinion. The Universal Championship match will see the fiend Bray Wyatt take on Daniel Bryan. If the segment from the end of last week's SmackDown is anything to go by, this match is going to be intense. Daniel Bryan is a guy that can switch on the intensity whenever he likes, and that is exactly what I believe we need to see to get the best out of Bray Wyatt's new Fiend character. No matter what you do to the Fiend, he keeps getting back up again. Chair shots, kendo sticks, sledgehammers. It doesn't matter what you do to him, he just keeps coming back. But Daniel Bryan has a little bit of that in him too. When you think back to last year's Survivor Series and the match between Daniel Bryan and Brock Lesnar... Daniel Bryan got the ever-loving shit kicked out of him. But he kept coming back for more and coming back for more with a smile on his face. This match will probably have a lot of similarities to that match last year. But ultimately, it will end the same way. And that is with Daniel Bryan losing. Wyatt has only just become the Universal Champion and I think we're in store for a long championship reign from The Fiend. If this match isn't the main event, expect there to be some kind of shenanigans in which Daniel Bryan is screwed out of the ending, setting up further matches between these two. But I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that this match ends clean and that this match ends clean with The Fiend defeating Daniel Bryan, despite... Daniel Bryan's best relentless intense efforts. All in all, this is a Survivor Series that I'm looking forward to. It's probably the most I've anticipated a Survivor Series in a very long time. Let me know what you think of the match card for Survivor Series. Let me know if you think my predictions are correct and throw out your own predictions to me. You can contact me on Twitter at the Jed Show. And I guess that's just about it for this edition of the main roster. Thank you very much for tuning in. Remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And until next time, it's Jez signing out.